Five, four. You have discovered the five four two and the blue podcast. Discussions of law enforcement history, issues, and incidents in the Appalachian Mountains. Hosted by retired police detective, sergeant, author, and researcher Scott Lunsford. Today's the story of the Buncombe County Smith murder cold case. This is Victoria. Background theme mystery sax by Kevin McLeod. Three, two, one. Scott, you're on. Thank you, Victoria, for the introduction. Welcome back to 542 in the Blue, Season 2 of our podcast on law enforcement issues, investigations, and incidents in the Appalachian Mountains. Today's Shade of Blue, uh, we're going to talk about a cold case from 1997. The story starts in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, but traces itself to Buncombe County, North Carolina, and a shallow grave in the Pisgah National Forest. On September 7, 1997, a man and his son were looking for deer sign for the upcoming hunting season in North Carolina's Pisgah National Forest. Now, instead of finding deer tracks and other indications of deer traffic in the area, they came across some human bones, clothing, and other items scattered in the woods near a primitive campsite off of the Blue Ridge Parkway. The remains were partially dug up by animals and scattered around, but they were centered around a shallow grave, the grave of a woman between the ages of 40 and 50 years old. Due to the holes and cuts in the clothing and cuts on the ribs and other bones, medical examiners from North Carolina and investigators determined that the woman had been stabbed to death. Dental records and indications of a severe arthritic knee soon led the body to be identified as that of a missing person, a Mrs. Judy Smith, born Judith Eldridge, December 15, 1946. Smith was a 50-year-old nurse from Newton, Massachusetts, was last seen by her family alive at a hotel in Philadelphia five months earlier. Supposedly on a solo sightseeing excursion in the city while her husband was at a conference at a local hotel there. When she did not return, her husband filed a missing person report. The missing person investigation centered on the state of Pennsylvania and Philadelphia at that time. Now the investigation and media coverage produced several possible sightings of Mrs. Smith in the Philadelphia area. And it was determined by that many of the sightings were cases of mistaken identity. A homeless woman who strongly resembled Smith was identified several times as the cause for many of these sightings. The investigation into what now had become a homicide started with how did Smith get to North Carolina from Philadelphia 600 miles away. She and her husband had planned to stay in Philadelphia to visit friends after a conference that he was attended ended. It was determined that Mrs. Smith had no known connections to the Asheville, North Carolina area as far as her family was aware. She had made no mention of wishing to travel to Asheville to any of her friends or family and the location where the body was found made no sense as well to any of the family members. The body was discovered wearing clothing of a type one would expect to have on when you were hiking in the mountains, including some thermal underwear, 
long socks. None of the clothing was identified by the family as being associated with Miss Smith. It has been speculated that she might have been a victim of a serial killer, a Gary Michael Hilton, who we'll talk about later, who had left one of his victims in a similar condition not too far away from where Smith's body was discovered. Philadelphia police initially considered the husband, Jeffrey Smith, a major suspect or person of interest, using the conference he attended as an alibi. Investigators in Philadelphia felt that his story was somewhat fabricated. Now, Buncombe County detectives, however, felt it not likely that he could have disposed of the body where it was found due to the husband's severe health condition and problems he had, and that ruled him out as a person of interest at that time. Now, Mr. Smith passed away in 2005 without closure in the death of his wife. Now, this was Judy Smith, second marriage. Her original married name was Judy Bradford. She was a home care nurse in the Boston area, and she met her current or last husband, Jeffrey Smith, who was a lawyer while doing home care nursing for his father, who was recovering from surgery in the 80s. After dating for a while, they got married in 1996. Now, Mr. Smith was employed by the Northeast Pharmaceutical Conference Organization, a group of researchers and drug company executives. The two had only been married eight months when they planned to attend this conference in Philadelphia from April 9th to April 11th in 1997, planning later to spend time with friends and family and basically be tourists for a while. Arriving at Logan International Airport on April 9th, 1997, Judy suddenly realized she had forgotten to bring her driver's license. Now, FAA rules and regulations had changed maybe nine, six months before that, and it required airlines to verify a passenger's identity before flying. Judy told her husband she would go back home and get her identification and take a later flight and she did make that later flight and met her husband at the conference. Waking up before his wife, after she had arrived at the hotel, Mr. Smith went to get breakfast. He returned later and found her awake and in the shower. He told her the hotel breakfast was good and she should also go get some. Smith told investigators later in follow-up interviews that his wife had joked with him in response saying she should just go on down as she was at the time, naked, for breakfast, and the two laughed it off. Having to work all day at the conference, the two decided that Judy Smith would take the day to see some local historical sites and do some sightseeing. They would meet up at the end of the day at their hotel in the room around 6 p.m. Now, when Smith returned to his room at 6, he found his wife wasn't there. Assuming they had gotten their signals crossed or times messed up, he proceeded to go down to the dinner and the party that was happening downstairs at the hotel. After going back and forth between the party and the room, Smith got worried and asked the hotel staff for assistance. They began contacting area hospitals to see if possibly Mrs. Smith had been involved in an accident. Leaving the party and dinner again, Smith paid a cab driver to slowly follow the route of the tourist bus that she had told him she was going to use. 
He called family members and friends in an attempt to see if anyone had heard from her. Having no success, he went to the police at midnight and attempted to file a report. Now, the Philadelphia police told Jeffrey Smith that he could not file a missing person report until she had been missing for 24 hours or more. Now, having worked many missing person investigations myself, some of them very strange, this is basically BS, that the 24-hour thing. But it is the policy of many different police agencies throughout the United States. Also attending the same conference, also attending the same conference at the hotel was Philadelphia Mayor Ed Rindle and John Brazell, who was a member of the Pennsylvania House of Representatives from Philadelphia. Smith made contact with them and enlightened them about what he felt was the police's dismissive attitude to his missing wife. Apparently this did some good for the next morning going back to the police station. Two detectives were waiting to take his report and talk to him about his missing wife. In an interview later, Smith said he overheard one of the detectives saying that Police Commissioner Richard Neal was to receive a copy of the report and to be kept updated. Now, as is common in this type of investigation, the husband, of course, needs to be eliminated as a suspect. Smith was aware of this, and yet he felt that too much energy was being spent investigating him. Now, if you think about it, if you had done something illegal or something to your wife, it would be kind of strange to make contact with several high-up politicians and ask for assistance in investigating a crime that you had committed. But stranger things have occurred in various investigations throughout time. People have thought they were smarter than investigators or the police and attempted all kinds of ways of developing alibis for themselves. Now, when you look at the statistics, though, 85 to 90% of females who were who murdered are killed by someone very close to them, usually a family member, spouse, or boyfriend. And this fact has been proven over time. The police also made much of what they called Smith's refusal to take a lie detector test. Smith denied refusing the test to the media, stating he insisted that any such test be administered by the FBI not by local law enforcement. Now, as the news reported the missing person case, sightings of Judy Smith were reported, like I said, in many locations. And all of these were investigated and had to be investigating. She was spotted allegedly shopping for clothes in Macy's in New Jersey. She had been seen in Easton, Pennsylvania, 55 miles north a few days after going missing. She had been seen at a convenience store not too far away waiting for the store to open up early in the morning according to a passerby. Mr. Smith hired private investigators to look for his wife and he also personally faxed and mailed copies of his wife's missing person flyer to hospitals all over the country asking them to be aware that she was missing and to look for her and contact Philadelphia police if she was spotted. And then came our September 7, 1997 discovery. What was left of her body was located. The bones had been scattered around an area of about 300 feet in diameter, according to the Buncombe County Sheriff's Report. 
more than likely done by animals. At the center was a shallow grave where the majority of the skeleton remains were found. The body still partially buried and clothed and some personal effects were found in the area nearby and as well as buried with the body. The medical examiner's examination concluded that she had been fatally stabbed and her death was officially classified as a homicide. An emergency room physician in Franklin, North Carolina, several counties away, saw an article about the discovery in the Asheville paper. He connected it to one of the flyers that the hospital had received recently, and he faxed a copy of the article to the Philadelphia Police Department. Dental records were later sent to North Carolina for confirmation, and the records matched the dental work on the skull discovered in the woods. The remains were positively identified as those of Judy Smith. Now, detectives with the Buncombe County Sheriff's Office took the lead in the investigation at this point. A blue and black vinyl backpack was found with the body. In it were winter clothes and about $80 in cash. A shirt buried nearby also had $87 in cash. The combined $167 was consistent with the $200 that the husband said she had on her at the time of her disappearance. About $140 worth of that money recovered was of 1993 series $20 bills that were found in the backpack. Thick gray socks and sweatpants were also found, and she carried several beige tops with her. A black banded silver-faced watch, the kind with the hands that glowed in the dark, was also found. Her blue jeans were still on her, and a black Nike hiking boots size seven and a half were found in the woods nearby as well. The money and her wedding ring, still being on her hand, led investigators to conclude that robbery was not the motivation for her killing. Clothes she was wearing when she was last seen were never located. Judy Smith's family also said that an expensive pair of sunglasses found near the bones were not hers as far as they were aware of. Follow-up investigation by the Buncombe County Sheriff's Office located several people in the Asheville area who reported seeing Judy or at least a woman matching her description. In April, a clerk at a local retailer said, quote, She seemed very alert to me. She was very pleasant. I didn't see anything about her that would indicate she wasn't right in any way. The clerk said she talked to her for a while and she had told her that her husband was an attorney from Boston and was attending a conference in Philadelphia and during that time she had just decided to go to the Asheville area. Somewhat strange nonetheless but the information on her husband being an attorney and attending a conference in Philadelphia at the time the body was found and identified was pretty much common knowledge and posted in the media. Another person who was an employee at the Biltmore Estate, a local tourist destination in the Asheville area, reported seeing Judy at a campground not too far away from where the body was found. Later, the owner of the campground near where the body was found was interviewed by investigators, and the owner recalled that she had driven up in a gray sedan that was filled with boxes and bags and asked if she could spend the night there in her car. She drove away after learning that you couldn't camp in your car at that particular campground. 
A deli owner interviewed by the Philadelphia City Papers said that Judy Smith came up to her store in a gray sedan and bought $30 worth of sandwiches and a toy truck. Buncombe County detectives were reported in the media as saying they thought these sightings were credible. As was brought up before, investigators of the Buncombe County Sheriff's Office ruled out the husband as a suspect. They believe he would have been physically unable to have taken his wife's body up the slope to where the body was found. His presence at the conference during the day that his wife disappeared has also been collaborated. The Philadelphia police, however, in their investigation, apparently never completely eliminated him as a suspect. Deputy Sam Constance, the Buncombe County detective who originally investigated the case, believes Judy was not abducted and came to the Asheville area voluntarily. When interviewed in 1997 by the media, Constance said he did not believe that Mrs. Smith was killed elsewhere and dumped at the site. Due to the distance anyone, even someone in the best physical condition, would have had to carry her body to dispose of it there not to mention digging a grave and burying separately other items of evidence. Interviews with the husband and other family members did not produce anything that indicated problems in the marriage, although one of her friends did point out at the time this happened, quote, Jeff and Judy's marriage was very tenuous. This was an interview that was done in 2001 and shown on the TV show Unsolved Mysteries. She went on further to say, I believe that something did happen that triggered her to want to have some time away from Jeff. Now remember, they had only been married about eight months at the time of her disappearance. Although some of Judy's jewelry was missing, the presence of most of it and the cash suggests again that robbery was not a motive. There is the question of whether serial killer Gary Michael Hinton, who had less than a year earlier left a murdered body of one of his victims tied to a tree not far away from there. He was later arrested and convicted of that crime as well as several other killings on hiking trails in National Forest in the southern Appalachian Mountains during the 2000s as well as in the state of Florida. To date, he has not been linked to Smith's killing. The state of North Carolina and the Smith family combined together offered a $17,000 reward for any information leading to the resolution of this cold case. Now, if this Shade of Blue story triggers some memories that you feel might be connected to this investigation, if you have any information on all that might assist in bringing a conclusion to this particular cold case, please contact the Buncombe County Sheriff's Office. I'm sure they'd love to hear from you. Any assistance would be greatly appreciated, I'm sure, not only by the Sheriff's Department, but by the Smith family. This Appalachian Mountain cold case waits to be resolved, and the family of Judy Smith would also like to have some closure, I'm sure, in in her disappearance and murder. And as the man said, if you know something, let somebody else know. Thank you for listening. I hope 
that this particular podcast provided some information or made somebody stop and think. Thank you, producer Victoria and engineer Alice, for helping us put this second season of 542 in the Blue podcast together. For more information on future podcasts and when they will be released, as well as a list of previous Shades of Blue stories from Season 1, you can go to scottlunsfordauthor.com where you can find copies of my books as well as links to Season 1 of these podcasts and other Shades of Blue stories. I can also be reached at the contact page at this website and very open to suggestions, comments, or ideas for future podcasts and stories and or books. Remember, my friends that are listening, be safe and be secure. And it's the shades of blue from our past that make our todays. Alice, go ahead and close us out. You have been listening to the 542 in the Blue podcast. Discussions of law enforcement history, issues and incidents in the Appalachian Mountains. Hosted by writer and researcher Scott Lunsford. For more information, go to scottlunsfordauthor.com. To find a link to more podcasts and information on Scott's books and how to order them, Scott can be reached through the message portal on the contact page. This is Alice, goodbye. 3. 2. 1.